Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we will continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. On our last episode, we began our examination of the way that the prosecutors organized their evidence against the three defendants by focusing on the testimony of four members of Glynn County law enforcement who responded to calls from the Satilla Shores neighborhood on February 23, 2020. On today's episode, we continue that inquiry by presenting the testimony of the officer who first questioned Greg McMichael at the scene of the killing of Mr. Arbery. That's coming up after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On the second full day of testimony, Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski calls Glynn County Patrol Officer Jeff Brandebury to the stand. Brandebury tells the court that he had worked as a Glynn County police officer before, but he had left the force and had just recently returned to duty in February of 2020. After establishing Brandeberry's history with the department, Dunikowski asks him about his experience of the events of February 23rd. All right, so I'm going to direct you specifically um, to February 23rd, 2020. All right. Is this your first day back on the job? Uh, I believe it was my second. Your second day. All right. Tell the jury what was going on with you that day. Uh, we were backing up other officers on a domestic violence call. Um, I heard a shot, or I heard a call for shots fired come over the radio in Satilla Shores. So Kayla and I got in her car and went down to Satilla Shores, responded. All right, so you were actually out on a different call? Yes, ma'am. And it was a domestic violence call? I believe so, yes, ma'am. Okay. And so when you heard this, you're with your field training officer. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And you head to Satilla Shores? Yes, ma'am. All right. So how were you feeling that day? Uh, actually, I was I was sick. I was not feeling well at all. All right. You had a head cold? Yes, ma'am. All right. Why couldn't you take the day off? I hadn't accrued any time off yet. So this was your second day back? Yes, ma'am. So when you... And Officer Roberts arrived. Who was driving the car? Officer Roberts. All right. What were you assigned to go do when you arrived at the corner of Holmes and Satilla? I was tasked with interviewing Greg McLaughlin. All right. And did you, in fact, uh, go up to speak with Greg McMichael? I did. And was that captured on your body cam video? Yes, ma'am. After admitting the evidence of the body cam footage and the corresponding transcript, Prosecutor Dunikowski asked Brandeberry to take the court through his encounter with Greg McMichael. At that point in time, did you notice anything on his hands? Yes, he had blood on, I believe it was his left hand. All right. What did Greg McMichael tell you about the blood that was on his left hand? He said he had his arm when he, he went down, face down, and his arm was stuck that underneath him. 
And I don't know if he was going for a weapon or what, because he was, because at that point he was still breathing. So I just, I pulled his arm out to see if there was a weapon in it. Okay. Did Greg McMichael tell you what happened? Yes, ma'am. Um, he said, okay, I was, I was in my driveway working on my, I'm reupholstering some boat cushions in the back of my truck. I look up, this guy, this guy comes hauling ass down the street. I'm talking about dead run. He's not jogging. And then what did he say? Right this way. Several nights ago, the guy, he, numerous occasions, the guy has broken in to a house over there. They've got him on video. All right. And when you asked same house, what did he say? Same house. Nobody could ever catch him. They've had him on video going into it, into that house numerous times. Did he get more specific about how many times they've got him on video? Yes, ma'am. Anyway, they got him on video going into this house two or three times. Now, generally, what did Greg McMichael tell you about his location when the actual shooting and homicide took place? He said he was in the back of the truck. So in regard to how Greg McMichael was able to recognize Mr. Arbery, who had been inside that house two or three times on video, what did Mr. McMichael say? I've seen these videos, so I know what the guy looks like. Black male, he wears short pants generally, a white t-shirt. He's got these little short dreads. I don't know what the hell you call them, but anyway, so I'm standing in front, I'm standing in my front yard just a little while ago. This guy comes hauling ass down the street. Like I said, I mean, like, like something's after him. Okay. After Dunikowski establishes these first statements made by Greg McMichael about what prompted him to begin to make what she calls his assumptions and driveway decisions, she moves on to those decisions. So as part of this, did he tell you what he did next? Yes, ma'am. In the meantime, so I haul ass back into the house, into my bedroom, and get my 357 Magnum. What does he say the reason is he gets his gun? Don't know if the guy's armed, because the other night the guy stuck his hands in down his pants. Okay. And what did he say about that? I don't take any chances. All right. So now, while you were talking to him, um, it was his demeanor? What was his demeanor? He was pretty amped up. He was, um, he, he appeared a little upset. He was talking a lot with gestures and using his hands. Did he know where he was? He knew the general area. He did not know what street he was on. All right. Did you have to tell him what street he was on? Yes, ma'am. All right. Now, while you're doing this interview at this part, how often are you interrupted? Quite regularly. All right. Like, could you get a continuous narrative from Mr. McMichael while you're standing there? No, ma'am. All right. Why not? Because I was interrupted by other officers and other people on scene. Okay. When you say other people on scene, what do you mean other people on scene? General bystanders, people who were curious and watching. So did you try and kind of direct him back to keep talking to you at a certain point in time? Several times. All right. With this information, Prosecutor Dunikowski is subtly establishing for the jury that Greg McMichael is treated with great deference for a man who is discovered with a firearm at the scene of an apparent homicide. And at that point, you're trying to tell him, okay, so tell me what happened next. What does he say that happened next? said I jumped in the back of the truck because I didn't want to sit in that damn kid's seat again. Okay. And is it your understanding that he's talking about on Burford, he jumps out to get in the back of the truck? Yes, ma'am. Now, after he goes ahead and jumps in the back of the truck, where does the black male go? 
He's running down the damn road. Okay. Uh, and what did Greg McMichael indicate that he was saying to the black man who was running down the damn road? Stop, stop, stop. I want to talk to you. Okay. And when he got the truck up next to him, what did Greg McMichael say? Greg McMichael said to the black man. Stop, goddammit. Was it clear at this point in time exactly where the truck was stopped when he said, stop, goddammit? No, ma'am, not really. Did he indicate how many times he had said to Ahmaud Arbery, stop, goddammit? Uh, it, it sounded to me like he said, stop, goddammit, one time. Now, did you ask Mr. Gregory Michael how many shots there were? I did. What did he say? He said there were two shots. And you asked him, so you heard two shots? Mm -hmm. What does he indicate? He said he saw them. Okay. What did he say then? I saw him, yeah. In fact, if, if to be perfectly honest with you, if I could have got a shot at the guy, I'd have shot him myself because he was, he was that violently, and then we were interrupted again. And you were interrupted again? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Now, the person who interrupted you at this time, was this a law enforcement officer? Uh, I don't believe so, no, ma'am. Okay. It's just some bystander stranger who walks up. Yes, ma'am. All right. Now, Officer Brandon Berry, second day back on the job, right? You have a cold. Mm -hmm. Did you allow this strange person to come up and start talking to Greg McMichael? Yeah. All right. So at any point in time, was Greg McMichael isolated from speaking with any of the other parties there? No. Was he told to sit on the curb and don't move? No. Was he put in the back of a patrol car? No. And so some strange guy just comes up to him and starts talking to him? Yes, ma'am. All right. And you didn't stop him or tell him to go away? I did not. The person who walked up, was this a man or a woman? It was a male. White, black, Asian, or Hispanic? White male. Did he ever identify himself? No. Did he appear to know Greg McMichael? He appeared to. Did Greg McMichael appear to know him? Yes, ma'am. When the male speaker comes up to Greg McMichael, what does this man say to Greg McMichael? He said, I, I, I was concerned that it might have been the drunk guy that lives up there on the corner in that house on the right-hand side there. And what does Greg McMichael say? Oh, the one that kind of shuffles. And the male speaker agreed with him? Yes. What did Greg McMichael say next? Yeah, no, this ain't no shuffler. This guy's an asshole. I mean, he was hooked up when he came around that street. All right, so Greg McMichael says, this ain't no shuffler. Yes, ma'am. This guy's an asshole. Who's yes, he talking about? I'm assuming a mod over. And he says, I mean, he was hooked up when he came around the street. That's what he's telling this other man. Yes, ma'am. How far away were you from the dead body of Maude Arbery when he called him an asshole? Uh, 20, 30 feet maybe. Maybe a little bit further than that. And at this point in time, was Maude Arbery surrounded by EMS and other people? Yes, ma'am. The male speaker then asks, was he walking? What does Greg McMichael say? No, running flat out. Running flat out. I don't know where he was coming from down there. And then, does the male speaker inquire about his son? Is your son okay? Yes, ma'am. What's Greg Michael say? He's upset as hell. Does he repeat that? Yes, ma'am. And then the male speaker says, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. The male speaker then asks him a question. What does the male speaker ask him at line 25? So the guy, the guy have a gun. And what does Greg McMichael say? No, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't tell if it's one on him or not, but he was, he attacked my son. At this point in time, are you interrupted again? Yes, ma'am. And who does the interrupting this time? The coroner. 
The coroner shows up. Yes, ma'am. And the male speakers then ask him, oh, really? Yes, ma'am. Because he just said, he attacked my son. And what does Gregory Michael say? He came at him. And then what does Gregory Michael say? He tried to get the damn shotgun away. So at this point in time, a total stranger has walked up and he's telling him that this is his narrative. He attacked my son, tried to get the shotgun away. Now generally, at this point in all of this, the coroner's there, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And do you kind of pivot away from interviewing Mr. McMichael? Yes, ma'am. With Officer Brandeberry having completed his account of his initial questioning of Greg McMichael, Prosecutor Dunikowski leads him through a summary of the pieces of evidence that are significant to the state's case. Did Greg McMichael ever indicate to you at that time that he thought Ahmaud Arbery, the guy, had committed a crime that day? No, ma'am. So he didn't say the guy committed the crime of this? No, ma'am. And when he said to you that numerous occasions the guy has broken into a house over there, they've got him on video, what house was Greg McMichael talking about? A house down the road that was under construction. Okay, so he's not talking about his home at 230 Satilla Drive? No, ma'am. All right. While speaking with you, did Greg McMichael ever use the word burglary? No, ma'am. Did he ever use the word trespass? No, ma'am. Did he ever tell you while you're talking to him that he was attempting to make a citizen's arrest? No, ma'am. Did he ever even use the word arrest? No, ma'am. Did he ever even use the word detain? No, ma'am. All right. Did he ever tell you that, oh, we were going to detain this guy and wait for the police to come and investigate? No, ma'am. Did he ever tell you, oh, by the way, I saw Mr. Arbery throwing stuff out of his pockets as he ran? No, ma'am. Prosecutor Dunikowski then passes Officer Brandeberry over to the defense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Franklin Hogue rises on behalf of Greg McMichael to question the witness. Let's, uh, let's get some further context on your testimony. And I want to start with... Um, beliefs that Greg McMichael told you he had concerning Mr. Arbery okay. uh, in the neighborhood, okay? Yes, sir. So Mr. McMichael actually went through the story with you two or three times. Several times, yes, sir. Right. And we were looking at one of those times when he went through it just now with the state mm -hmm. on direct, right? Yes, sir. But he had already told it to you once before, and he even told it to you he, another time. Again, yes, sir, he told me several times. And in part, that was because of the interruptions that were occurring, mm -hmm. and you had to stop and start. Yes, sir. Okay. The other part of that was for clarification purposes. Right. And, and that's a police technique, have somebody tell the story a couple times, see if it stays the same. Yes, sir. Defense attorney Hogue here seeks to use Officer Brandeberry's interview of Greg McMichael to support his opening statement that his client was, quote, absolutely sure, he was absolutely certain, and he was absolutely right, end quote. He says, this guy whom we've seen on video numerous times breaking into these other houses, 
he comes hauling ass down the street. I mean, he's got it hooked up. That's what he said to you? Yes, sir. That's accurate. And again, when he said breaking into these other houses, later on in your synopsis, as it was characterized, your report, you wrote in it that Mr. McMichael reported to you. Uh, he's the one breaking in all these houses out here. He said that to you, too? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, another person's walked up. This is Christy Rozier, right? Yes, sir. And Christy Rozier is uh, the coroner of Glenn County? One of, yes, sir. Well, he makes frequent trips to the neighborhood and gets caught on video cameras like every third or fourth night, breaking into places, and nobody's been able to catch him. That's what he said to you? That's what he injected into our conversation, yes. With the conversation with you and, and, and Mr. Rozier. Rozier? Yes, sir. Okay. And so earlier when you read that no one has ever, ever been able to catch him, mm -hmm. uh, you understood in the context of the conversation that we're not just talking about police, uh, but also neighbors and Mr. McMahon. At the time, I was unfamiliar with any 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 kind of crime in Stiller Shores. Yeah. You didn't my, have any background on that. No, sir. That's not my typical zone. That's not where I usually patrol. I'm not very familiar with the area. Okay. We do a different topic now. This is where, Mr. McMichael, you saw that he had blood on his hand, right? Yes, sir. And you understood, you learned that he got that blood on his hand because Mr. Arbery had fallen face down on the street and he had reached under his torso and pulled his arm out to see if he had a gun in his hand. He said he grabbed his arm and pulled his arm out, yes, sir. For the purpose of for the purpose of checking to see if he had a firearm, yes, sir, if he had a firearm. or a weapon, I believe he said a weapon. All right, and he told you he he did that because he had believed that this guy may have been armed. That's what he said, yes, sir. And he told you that the reason he ran in his house and got his three fifty seven before he pursued this man is because. He doesn't take chances. If he thinks somebody's armed, he's going to be armed. Uh, he said he doesn't take chances. Franklin Hogue then tries to pin down the timing of Greg McMichael's command to Ahmad Arbery. Stop, God damn it. Prosecutor Dunikowski objects that Hogue is asking the witness to speculate. And after Judge Timothy Walmsley sustains the objection, Hogue moves on to his final question. If Greg McMichael had said anything to you that day that is any in any way materially different uh, from what he told you the first, the second, and the third time you all went through the story, you would have noted that in your report, wouldn't you? I believe so. Again, that's more for, for our investigators to look through my body camera and, and then have further questioning. But you wrote a report. Yes, sir, I did. It's about a page and a little more long. Yes, sir. You've seen it. Yes, sir. You've reviewed it. Yes, sir. And you didn't note in it any place where Greg McMichael's three times through the story differed in any way, did you? No, sir, I did not. No, sir, you did not. What? I did not notate that he had any change in the story. <clears throat> and if he had, you would have notated that, correct? Uh, I should have, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. 
Franklin Hoag then passes the witness to Jason Sheffield. Lord officer. I'm Jason Sheffield. I represent Travis McMichael. We haven't talked yet, have we? No, sir. Okay. There's a part that you were just asked about by Mr. Hoag, previously by the state, about those statements, stop, goddammit. And you were just kind of going through that a moment ago. Right. One thing that you haven't noted yet and you haven't been asked to help clarify that issue is the following. In the transcript that you've got, Greg actually says to you that they haul ass around. You recall that? Yes, sir. Um, I believe in context that was, they said that he turned back towards Holmes and they came around to head him off. Yeah, so you were, you were told that day that they actually hauled ass around and came out this way. Yes. And that kind of clears up the Burford and the Holmes issue. Because Greg was telling you, we, we hauled ass around and came out this way. Right, after the okay. interaction on Burford yesterday. Right. And then that helps the jury understand that then that last interaction of yelling, stop, goddammit, that happens on Holmes. That's my understanding. Okay, very good. While Sheffield's question does help establish that the command for Ahmad Arbery to, quote, stop, goddammit, end quote, happened towards the end of the encounter, he also reinforces the idea that the purpose of the McMichaels looping around the neighborhood oval and back down Holmes Road was to cut off Mr. Arbery, which will later contradict his own client Travis McMichael's account of what he was seeking to do in circling around from Mr. Arbery. Sheffield then moves on to the appearance of Travis McMichael in Officer Brandeberry's body cam footage. Do you recognize this as the start of your body cam video? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, at this point, you had already been told that Travis McMichael was over here, or you don't know who this gentleman is? I have is no idea point? who that gentleman is. Okay. And you're just sort of following Officer Roberts at this point? Yes, sir. We're both walking onto the scene. Do you know that she's been told something about this gentleman? I have no idea. No idea. Okay. And she's sort of responding to him saying, I know, just breathe, kind of just calm down. Yes, correct? Yeah. Um, we've got to take some pictures of you first. Do whatever you got to yes, do. we got to take some photos yeah. and then we'll get something to point all right? All right. Okay, so at this point, she's telling him, we need to take some pictures of you. We, we need to kind of process some things. And his response is, just do whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, it's fair to say he's... From your experience with him, which may be very limited, he's being cooperative. Yes, right? I mean, yes, sir. Yeah, he's not trying to leave the scene to your knowledge or to tamper with any kind of evidence to your knowledge. Not in the 10 seconds I spent with him. Not in the 10 seconds. And then at that point, you move off and you go do something else. Correct. Okay. Sheffield concludes his questioning of the witness by taking him through a quick summary of what Ricky Minshew, the officer who made the shots fired radio call, shared with Officer Brandeberry when he arrived on the scene. He then passes the witness back to Prosecutor Dunikowski for redirect. Dunikowski zeroes in on the limited nature of Officer Brandeberry's role in the investigation. All right, so first off, let's talk about your report. Yes, ma'am. All right. So your field training officer on your second day back at work while you have a head cold tells you you're going to be the lead on this case. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And has you write up a report. Yes, ma'am. All right. Is that it? Yes, ma'am. All right. So how many pages is it? Uh, page and some change, maybe. All right. So this is a homicide case. 
got three people involved, got a bunch of officers on the scene, and your report's a page and a little paragraph. Yes, ma'am. All right. Is this really just a summary, kind of what Dragon Michael told you? Yes, ma'am. All right. And the transcript that you have right there, States Exhibit 189A, for, no, 47 pages? Yes, ma'am. All right. And you weren't the only one with body cam, right? No, ma'am. All right. Did you review anybody else's body cam? I don't recall reviewing anybody else's body cam, no, ma'am. Did you interview the CID detectives? No, ma'am. Okay. So this really was just a report kind of about what you did with regard to Greg McMichael. Yes, ma'am. When you are interviewing Greg McMichael right here, and you see this, mm -hmm. Travis is right there. At this point in time, did you know that Greg McMichael had already gone up to Travis and told him, you had no choice, you had no choice? I still, to this day, didn't know that, no ma'am. Okay. Do you have any idea how much Greg McMichael told his son at this point in time when you go to talk to him? No ma'am. All right. Do you know who else Greg McMichael has gone up and talked to at the point he's about to be interviewed by you? No ma'am. All right. So at the point he's being interviewed by you, did he mention he'd spoken with Diego Perez already? No ma'am. Did he mention he'd already talked to William Roddy Bryan already? No ma'am. Okay. So he didn't bother to tell you who he had spoken to at the scene about this before you ever interviewed him? No, ma'am. And at the point you're interviewing him, his son has shot and killed somebody, right? Yes, ma'am. And that body's laying 20 to 30 feet away, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. And he's animated, right? Yes, ma'am. Having reinforced the unusual nature of a scene where a person apparently involved in the killing of another human being is allowed to interact with bystanders and individuals who would later become his co-defendants, Donikowski moves on to pick up the opening created by Jason Sheffield's questioning of the witness. What exactly did he say about how they got over to Holmes? He said that he saw him running down Satilla Drive and continue straight on to Burford. They followed him on to Burford. He turned around and ran back towards Holmes, and they continued around and met him on Holmes. I think you said that their words were, they went to head him off. Yes, ma'am. Donikowski then challenges what defense attorney Franklin Hogue characterizes as Greg McMichael's consistency in his statements. All right, so defense counsel came up and asked you about this yes, guy who we've seen on video numerous times breaking into these other houses, he comes hauling to ask down the street, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So at this time, when he first starts talking to you, he's on video numerous times breaking into these other houses. Did Greg and Michael tell you which houses? No, ma'am. Did he tell you which houses to go to? No, ma'am. Did he tell you if he had any hard evidence that Mr. Arbery was the one breaking into other houses? No, ma'am. On numerous occasions, the guy has broken into a house over here, and they've got him on video. Yeah, okay, so now we've gone from numerous houses, he's on lots of videos, to numerous occasions, the guy has broken into a house over here. It just says a house, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And now, they got him on video going into this house two or three times, is that right? Yes, ma'am. All right, so we've gone from breaking into all these houses to the one house, and now it's, anyway, they got him on video going into this house two or three times. So we're down now to two or three times, is that yes, right? Yes, Now he does go on, page 26, to say he's the one breaking into all these houses out here. Yes, ma'am. All right, do you ever tell you which houses? No, ma'am. Did he tell you where he got this information from? No, ma'am. Did he tell you the victims of any of these break-ins? Uh, one guy was a banker, was as far as we got into it. Okay. 
Now, the banker, was this the banker from Alma? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And is he the one with the construction site? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So he says the guy from the construction site is the banker from Alma. Yes, ma'am. Donikowski then again calls attention to how unusual it is for Greg McMichael to be allowed to engage with others at the scene of an apparent homicide. So we were talking about our interruptions and everything, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. So Christine Rozier, who's she? She's the county coroner, one of the county coroners. And she had shown up, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Now, who's Christine Rozier trying to talk to? Uh, she's trying to talk to me. She's trying to talk to you? Yes, ma'am. And... I think you said that Greg Michael inserted himself in the conversation. Yes, ma'am. Was she trying to talk to Greg Michael? No, ma'am. And so he came up and starts trying to tell her what went on. Yes, ma'am. And that's when he starts telling her on page 30, well, he makes frequent trips to the neighborhood, gets caught on video camera like every third or fourth night, breaking into places. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Now, you, as the first responding officer, did you ever find out... Any of this video footage where he's breaking in every third or fourth night? Me personally, I have not seen anything, no ma'am. Alright. At that point, did anybody tell Mr. McMichael to back off, step away, this is Not the that corners? I recall, no ma'am. Okay. So nobody's telling him, this is none of your business, we need to do our business now, you need to go away. No, I don't, not that I recall, no ma'am. Why not? I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> The prosecutor then returns to Greg McMichael's commands to Ahmad Arbery to stop. At this point, Greg McMichael's telling you, I jump in the back of the truck because I don't want to sit in the damn kid seat again, so I jump in the back of the truck, and he's running down that damn road, and that's Burford. Yes, ma'am. My understanding. Okay. And that's when he's hollering, stop, stop, we want to talk to you. Yes, ma'am. And then he immediately says, and we get up next to him, and I said, stop, God damn it, you know. Yes, ma'am. That's what the defense counsel asked you about. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Between those two sentences, did he ever say, we went up around Zellwood, we came down Holmes Drive, we passed Mr. Arbery, and then we stopped right here? No, ma'am. Okay. He actually says that he gets up next to him. Yes, ma'am. Okay. If you get up next to somebody, does that imply that you're driving your car? To me, it would. Okay. So the impression he left you with is, we get up next to him in the car. That was my understanding, yes, ma'am. Okay, it doesn't say Mr. Arbery got up next to our car, does it? It does not. Okay, so you have no idea how many times he yelled, stop, goddammit, at Mr. Arbery. I do not. Prosecutor Dunikowski concludes her redirect by revisiting Greg McMichael's reason for arming himself before pursuing Ahmad Arbery. All right, well, Mr. McMichael says... I haul ass back into the house. I haul ass into my bedroom to get my 357 Magnum. I don't take any chances. It's because he doesn't know if this guy's armed. That was my understanding. Okay. So he knowingly went after someone he believed was armed with his own gun. That was my understanding, yes, ma'am. Franklin Hogue then rises for his recross of Officer Brandeberry. There's two, two areas, Officer Brandberry, that have just been brought back up on redirect. Uh, when the state was just now asking you about all these things, whether Greg McMichael volunteered them to you, like which houses, who lives in them, how did you learn about these break-ins, right? And you said, 
No, he didn't volunteer those details to you, right? He did not volunteer who lived in them or how he got the information, no, sir. And you didn't ask him those questions either. No, you? sir, those kind of follow-up questions are for our investigative division. All right. That's not your job. That's not what I said. That's not what you were there to do. I was there to get an initial statement and then turn the scene over to our investigative division. Okay. Who would do the questioning about which houses and who lives in them? Yes, sir. How their job you... is to get more detailed information. Sure. We agreed that the jumping in the back of the truck because he doesn't want to sit in the car seat happened on Burford. Right? Yes, sir. That was my understanding. And then the last statement he said uh, to Mr. Arbery, stop, God damn it. Mm -hmm. I had you read silently the rest of that paragraph mm -hmm. that that's in, right? Yes, sir. And we agreed, did we not, that at that point it appears he's describing to you what he said to Mr. Arbery. He never said where it took place. Right, but you, you agreed with me we're talking about Holmes Road. It could have been on Holmes. It, it may not have been. It, he didn't clarify. Okay. At the time, I didn't ask. So earlier, though, when we agreed that based on the context of this whole statement that you can't read to the jury, but you read to yourself, you agreed with me he's talking about Holmes Road. It could have happened on Holmes Road. It may have happened on Burford. He doesn't say. I can't. Okay. I can't attest to either one. All right. Never clarified. So when we were, when we agreed earlier, you're now backing off that? Yes. Stage. So we don't agree now that this is on Holmes Road. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying it was never it was never clarified as to where it happened. It may have happened on Holmes Road. It could have happened on Burford. I, I don't know. You don't know. No, sir. All right. And with that, Officer Brandeberry was excused from the witness stand, and this episode of Jury Duty comes to a close. On our next episode, we will examine the testimony of Detective Parker Macy, who was called into the Glynn County Police Headquarters on February 23, 2020, and there questioned Greg McMichael. Detective Macy's interview was far more detailed and formal than Officer Brandeberry's on-scene inquiry was. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracon. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.